Foncose proudly presents our unscripted podcast, Voices of Hope. In this first season, you'll hear from extraordinary individuals whose support and service are making a difference. They may look different from each other and come from very different backgrounds, but the one thing they have in common is their love and respect for Haiti. On tonight's episode, we speak to Marie-Claire Dorsley, Chief Administrative Officer of Foncose Financial Services. Here is our interview. My name is Marie-Claire Dorsley. I'm the Chief Administrative Officer with Service Financier Foncose, which is the MFI um, affiliate of Foncose. Um, fun fact. I don't <laughs> know if it's a fun fact, is that after 20 plus years in the state, I moved back to Haiti eight years ago. Oh, wow. So, um, and it's been quite of a ride since my return. Wow, I bet. What's been the hardest thing to get used to being back? Honestly, um, that's kind of hard. It's not even the functioning. I guess the hardest thing to get used to, and it has been recently, not before, not when I first moved back in 2014, is the constant shutdowns. Right. So um, it's been frustrating. Um I would say more frustrating on a professional level than it is on a personal level in a sense that, you know, there's so much that you want to do and not able to do it. Um, Right. And a personal level, you take a deep breath and you step, you know, you just like, okay, try to go with the flow on a personal Mm -hmm. level, but it's harder to do on a professional level. So I think that's been one of the hardest things. And I've, and, I, I cannot say that it's been this challenge the past eight years, but it's been so much a challenge for the past, um, since 2019, which right. is the last three years, where it's been quite a challenge for us in that sense. Yes. And we're, you know, all of us over here are hearing all of the stories and speaking with you all. And let me just say that we are with you. We can never know exactly what it is unless we're there. So I know that. From your point of view, it's probably harder to explain. So when you decided to move back, was it, if if it's too personal, let me know, but no, was no. it because of family or you just felt the sense that you needed to go back and do both. your work there? Okay. Um, when I say, well, when I say both was my dad was, is still, still lived here. Mm-hmm. Um, but ever since I moved, I moved uh, during my uh, sophomore years. In, in, in high school, but I always moved with the tendency that I was going to go back. Right. So at first I thought I was only going to be there for a year. Then I was going to finish high school, but I did. After that, I said, okay, right after college, I'm going to go back, but that didn't happen. So it, it was always with the sense that I never left to not come back. Right. So you knew that you would be back. I'll, I'll be back. Um, so originally I was supposed to be back to 2010, um, but I came and visited in 2009, um, getting everything ready, trying to figure things out for my return and so forth. And the earthquake hit in January. Yeah. So that kind of put a pause on everything and trying to figure out what was going on. And then finally in 2014, January 2nd, I took that leap of faith and I was here. Wow. And I have to say, despite the challenges, no regrets. That's good. Yeah. And that's interesting. You say that Gautier said the exact same thing. He was like, I have absolutely no regrets about going back. 
exactly no. what I wanted to do. So for you, like during your childhood and with your family background, was there an emphasis on doing good for others was, or is that something you developed definitely. on your own? Okay. No, definitely. Um, I, I think I've said this before, um, to focus in USA, I grew up with, um, my dad, uh, always gave us the mantra of to whom much is giving much is expected. Mm. So that just because, you know, we've been more fortunate and blessed than others, but we cannot ignore the plight of the others next to us, our neighbors or whoever it may be. So whenever you're in a position to do better, to help them do better, you expect it. It's it's just expected of you to do so. So nice. um, it's, that's how my grandmother grew up. Um, like I was raised by my father, my grandmother, when I lived here in Haiti. So that's how my grandmother mentality where um, it takes a village for everything. So like even when my grandmother was uh, cooking at the house, there's always a big pot because there's always extra food. Why? Because you don't know who's coming to visit. Right. And I need a plate of food. <laughs> so it's just... <laughs> Is is just and and as simple as that and and to be honest, it never went to waste because there's always somebody who came and always right. was sure that whenever they came, there will always be a plate of food, um, you know, to be giving. And then um, when I went, I went to an American Christian school here in Haiti, and from earlier on, one of the things that they taught us is that you know, to give back, to give back to the community. Even when you're in elementary school, you're not really fundraising as your parents doing the fundraising, mm-hmm. but you were empowered to say, okay, what is it? What it is? Who did we want to help? How did we want to help? How did we want to compu- uh, contribute, right? So right. early on, and as we got older, we, we we were able to make those decisions on our own, like what what cause did we want to take this year as a class and and you know to raise funds for and so forth so that was always something that was um that was instilled at a young age and even when I moved to the states I I also went to um a faith-based school where it was still um constant like your community hours weren't just like a requirement for college it's just like it was what expected you know, to yes. give back and to find different things. So it's something that I've I've always done. And it's it's the same thing that I've instilled in my children, you know, to to pay yeah. forward, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And I, I do think it's so important to instill that at a young age because I don't know if you agree, but often in the States, if it's not a faith-based school, there's a lot of focus on self and just getting where you need to be and all of the things you need to do to help your life. And so it's nice to hear that that's being spread around and <laughs> passed on to your kids because they'll pass it on to their kids and so on and so forth. That's and, why, like, um, yeah. even with, sorry to cut you off, Brenda. No, no, that's okay. Um, um, even with the community hours, like when my children had to do community hours, I didn't want you to do community hours because it's a requirement for you for high school. Right. Like, you tell me why, why are you doing this? What is the passion behind, like, whatever it is, the cause that you're taking on? So I'm never one to, or I can ask a friend to sign off on your hours. You, you have to pay or do. You have to do it. Yeah. And it has to be, it has to make sense to me why you're doing it. So um, so it's something that we we did earlier on. Yeah. That has been instilled since then and we continue to instill it. Yeah. And it's so, so important. And so how did you come to be involved with Foncose? Ha! Huh. Funny. When I moved to Haiti, 
<laughs> when I moved to Haiti, I didn't even know what Francoise was. And actually, I was working elsewhere at an uh, electrical engineering firm, totally like different for what Francoise um, represented. Yeah, completely different, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and then I had uh, a colleague of mine, a friend colleague of mine that started working for Francoise. And when she and she started telling me about Francoise, and then she recruited me to be the training manager for Francoise. So technically, I thought I was going to join Focose on a part-time basis mm-hmm. to do the training. And then seven years later, I'm still here. Here you are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm still here. But and, to, um, be, yeah. Go to ahead. be honest with you is when I moved, I knew I wanted to, to do something that really made a difference, yeah. right? Yep. But um, what it was, I was still trying to find my way right still mm-hmm. trying to understand because that's my first time um I I've worked uh, I've worked as I was I lived and worked as an adult in Haiti um so when I got to Focuse when I saw the mission when I went in the field when I visited and I understood the impact that we had it was just a no-brainer that this is this is this is where my purpose brought me, right? right. Um, yeah. For whatever that time period is, this is where my purpose is. And um, a lot of people don't understand it. At times, a lot of people maybe don't understand what we do or the impact that we have. But when you're doing this work, it's not even work for us anymore. It's just like, okay, this is our responsibility and we take it at heart. The oh, yeah. coaches that are standstill, we're still working. We're still going from one 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 meeting to the next because we understood the impact and the importance of the service that we're giving. Um, yes, we for profit, but we also double bottom line, meaning that there's the social mission that's more that drive us more than our mm-hmm. financial goals and objectives because um, the the population we serve is not a population that's really gonna you know, like we're going to, I don't know, be rich overnight or like right. be a fortune 500 company overnight. It's, it's not, <laughs> it's not what it is. We no. have financial goals to be sustainable, but I think our social goals is what drive us and drive our business. Yeah. Very well said. Cause that, that ties into my next question of how would you describe Foncose's mission to to people that don't know anything about it? If they're listening now and they're just like, what is this? you know, can you describe in a couple of sentences what the mission is? Sure. So our our the I'm um I'm I'm not sure if our listeners knows this, but just a recap. Um we three sisters organization and we share the same mission, which is to uplift uplift um the most vulnerable out of poverty. And especially the women in our society, right? Mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing a mission. So what does that mean is that we understand there's a vulnerable layer of the population. Um, unfortunately, that represent a majority of the 11 million people that's made up of this population that are not financially inclusive and that are living, that are, that are living below poverty line, mm-hmm. right? So our mission is not to hand out. Our mission is to uplift them and empower them and give them the tools and resources that they need to be able to lift themselves out of the poverty that they're living in and also 
to be able to, and it's a triple, like a domino effect, right? So one family at a time, a community at a time, and then eventually, you know, we 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 are pushing eventually that it will be the whole um, country impacted, right? So yes. we we we're working with one family at a time, the community, one community at a time that we work where we serve, and hopefully that triple down ripple down effects will will fulfill itself throughout um, the country. So we provide the tools, both financial and non-financial um, resources to be able to assist with that mission. Yes, thank you. And so in your time, in your years at Fon Jose, how have you seen it grown and develop? Oh, we. <laughs> <laughs> I've been here the last seven years. I have to say, for service financier for Jose, when I came in, we were at a time of transition, right? We're transitioning to an institution that was not financially sustainable, of uh, an institution that was restructuring itself, disciplining itself to mm. be able to better serve. Um, I recall that we had a discussion: what was more important, a financial or social goal? And the the answer is they're both important because if you don't have financial goals, you can't support your social goal. Right. And if we right. want to stay true to our mission, we need our social goals as well. So it goes hand in hand. So we have to restructure ourselves um, to be more to be sustainable in order to be able to meet um, our clients, um, meet the needs of our clients. So and the first three years, that's what we, um, that's what I experienced us doing through whether um, to restructuring some of the products and putting a lot of discipline on our policies and procedures mm-hmm. and recruiting the right people um, for the positions in order to help us drive that mission. Um, the last three years, um, we we revamp ourselves when again, once again, our strategy and um, uh, for service financing focus, for the MFI, where we said that we want to be more customer centric. And we want to take the road to be more digital. Digitalization is is what's becoming the norm. Yeah, so, it's so important. Um, yeah, and and, it's, and it helped us. And when we take the when we we started those journeys to be more, we were already we already provided a service of proximity to our clients because we're in the most rural parts of the country, and we go to our clients for reimbursement. We there's a lot of traveling to our clients and less of our clients coming to. Our, our our branches, yeah. so we are we are already have a, a close relationship, a relationship of proximity with our clients. But we wanted to capitalize on this to really hear what their needs are, right? To really understand what their needs are, to really understand how we can better serve themselves. And we started on um, that journey three years ago to 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 be more client centric, to hear our clients, and to um, respond better to their needs at, at our capacity and. Even, even in the approach of our social performance monitoring, also we we changed our approach about that as well. Where we've we've um, we've we using we started to pilot out a tool um, that we were able to adapt from another organization, our partner organization, which is Fundación Paraguay, which is um, it's called Poverty Stoplight. And for mm-hmm. us here in Haiti, we call it Chime Progress, meaning the road to progress. With the social tools, they allow the families that we serve to assess um, where they are in all aspects, not just social, economic, and all aspects, whether it's um, um, their health-wise education for their children, where they live, um, um, 
their savings, their credit needs, all aspects of, right. of their life, a multidimensional approach to poverty, right? For them to make that assessment where they are with their family. And then they themselves will prioritize what is important to them. And based on those answers, we have from Jose, we see what 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 our clients value as their priorities and see how we can, where we can to assist them or where we can mentor and guide them for them to achieve the personal goals that they have set for themselves. So right. we try to be more, um, we take a, a, a role that's more holistic and more inclusive for the clients to be part of the decision-making as opposed to us dictating that this is what you need. I yeah. think you need to change your roof, but my roof right. is not my priority. Sending my five children to school is my priority. Exactly. Um, so um, we try to be, and, and we really pushing for it to, for us not to think that we know the answer, but to find right. the answer for the clients to tell us what it is their answer is and what is the expectation of us as opposed to us um, imposing our expectations. So, and I've seen Very, this transplantation yeah. and I'm excited about it because I've yeah, that's super exciting journey for the next five to 10 years. Right. So, yeah. And so you mentioned that you, you guys go out to the clients in rural areas. So with the current situation, can you talk about uh, the problems that you're facing ah. over there too? Yeah. So that people have a better idea of what exactly it takes to get to those clients. Brenda, it has been some very challenging time for oh. um, for business model mm-hmm. and, and the context that we in, because um, there are two things that are uh, are playing against us. So while the insecurity is not nationwide, but you have, you know, especially the Port-au-Prince area and other major cities may be plagued by it, but the fuel crisis that mm-hmm. we've been facing recently have a real impact, right? And all yeah. our network. So most of our agents, they travel via motorcycle, um, travel via motorcycle. Um, and the motorcycle needs fuel. So it's been a challenge for us to find it. It's been a challenge for them to get from 1.8 to print B. It's been even a challenge that's from institution, but it has been a challenge even for our clients to do business as usual. Right. So um, in the past with political unrest and so forth, we usually see the impact in Port-au-Prince, right? And maybe a few right. major cities and it's business as usual for our most rural part. Like they go about their business. They don't want to get involved in the politics or what they call the politics of Port-au-Prince and go involved. But now things have gotten so bad that it has a direct impact on them, a worse impact where they can't travel from one town to the next town with their goods, you know, to sell. Yeah. Um, uh, if, there, if there is fuel, the price is so high for transportation that it's not even worth them for them to make that travel. And if they, and if there is none, you know, especially whatever it is, if, the, if it's um, like, um, I'm food, food, I'm, the words um. escape me, but like say it's um, food that they just harvest, right? Going from mm-hmm. one town to the next. If you can't make it or you're stuck on the road for two, three days, it's spoiled. Oh my goodness. So all these challenges and it's been a challenge for us as an institution to, mm-hmm. to while we understand the challenges our clients have and, and believe it or not, what we always learn is 
we have the most loyal client base, regardless of what's going on. Um, That's they, amazing. They know that we're there for them mm-hmm. and they're good or bad time and they stand with us good or bad time. So yeah. we've been, and they've been very loyal to us, even in for insecurity reasons. If we are about to go, a center chief will tell the credit agent, don't go, the road is blocked. Or, you know, um, it's not safe to come out. The gangs are out or whatever the case may be. Um, right. So they've always looked out for us. And while our clients are loyal, I have to say our employees also are very passionate and loyal what they do. And I cannot repeat it enough. Yeah. The employees we have, it's not because of the salary that they receive. It's because the belief and the mission that right. we have. Because the sacrifices that make, they make. Um, to be able to push and make sure that, you know, they do what they need to do um, for our clients is unbelievable and things that commendable. Whether it's after the earthquake, where in the areas that were most affected, the employees themselves, you know, were affected their homes or yeah. whatever the case may be. But after day two or three, they were ready to go out. Our credit agents, they wanted to know about their clients. Are they okay? Are they good? Or, you know, What's going on and able to report back to us, you know, who needs help? Um, how can we assist if we get if we're getting, you know, what kind of what what are the impact on our clients? You know, is it that they need food? Is it that they need shelter? What it is that the needs are? So yeah. they put aside their own personal to make sure that their clients are okay. So to me, that has nothing to do with a paycheck, but a true belief and the mission of what we do and really understanding that we do has a real impact. Um, oh, for the okay. communities where we serve. Yeah, very well said. And, and it's always imperative to give credit where credit's due. And on that note, I, I actually have an off the cuff question. I read an article the other day that said, and I, I really want to hear your thoughts on this, that Haitians don't want to be called resilient anymore. Oh, no, we're tired. Well, yeah, right? We are so, resilient. Someone was like, don't tired. call me resilient. No, Please stop calling us. <laughs> I, I personally, I can say this because this resiliency, I think, is being is being used to abuse us, mm. if I can make sense. That oh, yeah. this resiliency is not bringing about any change because no. we're so quick to adapt, to adapt, to adapt. Right. That no matter how bad situation is, we adapt, we adapt to it. So it seems like there is no willingness to make things better. Right. Um. So I personally... I don't want to hear about resilience. Yes, right. we're resilient, but it does not mean that it's a license to leave things as is and for us mm-hmm. not to do better. So, and there's time that you're tired of being resilient. Um, oh, yeah. Even with us that we adapt to the situation as it comes, we we keep adapting to make sure we, we still operational and we do what we need to do. But after a while, like you're tired of functioning as a fight, like, a firefighter right. always putting out tire, uh, fires. Yeah. Um, it seems like it's been the mode that we've been in the last three years. It's one fire at the other, after the other, one fire after the other. And and we're surviving. Yes, we're yeah. surviving. Um, are we thriving? Uh, no, I don't know that we're thriving, but we're surviving, mm. right? Yeah. But we like to do than just survive. We like to thrive as well. Exactly. And I think that because we're so resilient, the opportunity to thrive is not is not giving to us. When I say us, I'm talking to us as 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 a Haitian. I'm talking to right. 
I'm referring to us as a Hinkin. Yeah, but because, I agree. Yeah. Um, don't tell us we're resilient to, to maintain the status quo. No. Mm. Very well said, because think of the things that human beings have had to endure throughout history and we're called resilient because of it. So yeah, thank you for your answer and for sharing your personal thoughts on that. Um, in the same vein also, what what do you wish for Haiti? Like how, what's, what are the next steps? For Haiti. Yeah. What do I wish for Haiti? Yeah. I wish that we Haitian truly understood our value. Mm. I wish we as Haitian understand that we have to do better for ourselves. Um, I wish that we were not our worst enemies at times. And I wish that we understood who are, who are our allies and who our foes are and to really identify them and to be able to move forward. Yeah. And I wish for Haiti where we stop being labeled as the poorest country in the Western hemisphere, mm. because I don't think that's a true statement. It all depends on what your perspective of poor is, because right. there's so much richness in this country. If you're looking at it purely from the social economic, yes, we have a population that really live on the poverty line as defined. But our richness is so much more. And I think there's so much more to the finance than just the social economic or just the political chaos that's around us. There's much more to us. Right. And I I and and I wish that that we we will see that there's much more to us than just that. And I wish that we will give the next generation coming up a chance. Because right now, um the brain drainage that we're experiencing. Yeah. Um, our youth not seeing a future for themselves. Yeah. And the way that we just allowing um, others to use us to destroy ourselves is just heartbreaking. And at times, you can understand the despair that some feel, right? Because right. it looks so grim um every time you think that things cannot get worse and it does yeah however i'm a true believer that it will get better a lot of people say they don't see it it, it has to get be better and i always refer to the myth of the rising phoenix that we're being reduced to ashes right now and we are yeah. truly being reduced to ashes but we shall rise and when we yes. rise we, we will soar and rise stronger, but we need to believe that for ourselves and be able to take our own destiny into our hand and push forward and, and, and do that. Because I think for the last couple of years, there has been enough bloodshed, a lot, enough of our brothers and sisters, you know, dying senselessly and too many mothers crying for their children, dying in, 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 in senseless ways that just makes no sense. Yeah. And I, my prayer is that all this senseless um, death can one day be used as a motivation for us to say enough is enough and for us to do better by us and for us. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. 
Foncoze has been empowering families throughout Haiti for nearly 30 years with the tools and supportive services needed to break the cycle of poverty. To discover more about our impactful work, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Foncoze, or visit our website at foncoze.org.